Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, it's Snowcone. In this episode, the guys talk to an American who is currently in Ukraine training soldiers and fighting alongside them in the war with Russia. A big thanks to our friend Phil for connecting us with Chaz. And if you know anyone you think we might like to talk to, please always feel free to reach out to us. All right, hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, Chaz, are you there? Yeah, yeah, you got me, man. All right, well, this is... uh... An, an interesting scenario. So what happened here is we got uh, an email, I guess uh, our producer got an email this week from someone yeah. saying, hey, I know someone who's in Ukraine training fighters. Wouldn't you like to talk to that person? And we were like, well, yeah, I'd like to talk to that <laughs> Maybe. person. Maybe. I'm not exactly sure right. it all in detail. <laughs> right. Like, sure, yeah, I got, I got nothing else to do today. Right? <laughs> what, what, what's the story? Like, does he, is he American? Does he speak English? Is he, is the phone going to work from over there? You know, how, how does this work? So t- tell us a little yeah. bit about yourself, because honestly, we don't know that much about you other than that you're over there. You're American. I do know that. And that you're over there yeah. uh, training fighters in Ukraine. And how long have you been, do- been over there? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so how it all went down is, so I've actually um, been, I've kind of been roped into doing media and podcasts and things um, because about, I don't know, November, so what were we talking, eight months ago, I was actually um, part of the force that liberated the city of Kherson down in southern Ukraine. Um, and in Kherson, um, watermelon is a super, like, pop, like, that's what the area is known for. You know, like, Kansas is kind of known for wheat and sunflowers. Sure. Um and anyway, someone took a video. Of- wait, wait, hold on a second. Oh, just let me ask you, because I feel like you skipped over that detail, and I'm a detail guy. It's known yeah. for watermelon. Like, it grows watermelon. People love watermelon. And I yeah, would never yeah. no, think like, okay, the Ukraine yeah, is known for growing watermelon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is the place for watermelon. <laughs> if you get watermelon in Europe, it usually comes from this Kherson region. Wow. Right? Yeah. I know um, nothing about agriculture or farming anyway, so whenever somebody says this is where this thing grows, I just go, okay. I would have just sure. thought watermelon has to be somewhere 
hot and I'm, southern. I don't know. Yeah, you, or ice cold. I really, I, I'm, I'm right. not certain. Don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So like southern, um, southern Ukraine, man, is actually it's a lot like um, Kansas when you get kind of away from the the Black Sea. And then as you get close to the Black Sea, it's more like uh, you know that Georgia, Florida, Alabama kind of you know. It doesn't get real hot, but the humidity will just kill you. Okay. I am so you know? dumb to the world. In my mind, I just think the Ukraine. It's got to be cold yeah, all cold. the time. Cold and gray. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. You think that Arctic tundra, everything yes. is gray. Nobody mm-hmm. smiles. Right, you know, yes, exactly. Ten-mile-long lines for bread and all that. Right, right yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah. Um, so you're growing watermelon, watermelon in Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> And someone and I was eating it, and someone was made a TikTok of me. And I'm not even on TikTok. Was like, yo, what's that taste like? I was like, oh, it tastes like freedom, baby. And apparently, <laughs> it went off, got like two million hits on TikTok or some crazy number. Like three million was on Reddit and everything. And from there, there's a whole bunch of like media outlets that want to do interviews with me because all of a sudden I had that 15 minutes of popularity or whatever, you know. Right. Um, so, anyways, that's uh, why. Uh, oh, so I see. Uh, so that's why you kind of gained popularity and why people are interested in your story is because someone yeah. put a video of you on TikTok saying watermelon tastes like freedom. It's just one of those things. And then it took off without you even really knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Like my the guy that took it, sent it to me. He's like, what did I just do? Is that like a million hits in like 36 hours or something? And, and of course, now I'm eating it just, you know, like an American, you know, spitting the seed, being all <laughs> pretentious about it, you know. Right. Um, so anyways, yeah, so that's where that came from. Um, and sorry, what were a couple of the other questions you asked? I kind of got off. Like, well, well, I guess like there. your, your background and how you got over there eating that watermelon in the first place. Yeah. I think like I freedom. read yeah. that you were in the Navy and let me get this. Let me see yeah. if I get this right. And then you can clear up the details. You're uh, in the Navy yeah, at right. some point and you get out and yeah, yeah. So you're living yeah, in Kansas from, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I said, and then you're living in Kansas and you see, that the Ukraine has been attacked, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go over there and help them? Uh, you know, honestly, that's, that's about what it was. Um, yeah, I was in the U.S. Navy from 2003 to 2009. Um, I did tours on submarines as well as tours in Iraq. Um, and then I spent a little bit of time in Syria um, when that was popping off, 2016, 2017. Um, but anyways, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was watching what was going on in ukraine and like you know i'll never forget it i was in savannah georgia for work you know in february of 2022 and it was like 2 a.m and i was up for un, you know some weird reason like why am i up at 3 a.m on a tuesday mm-hmm. you know um and i watched this go down i'm like oh this is gonna be over in three days um and then you you know i kept watching it and um after a month or two you know they started pushing the the Russians out of northern Ukraine. I was like, oh, wow, there's there's a fight to be had here. You know, there's a legitimate fight. It's not some, you know, it's not some little rebel Syrian, you know, factional civil war kind of deal. Um, and then it wasn't like that too long after that, a buddy of mine, um, that's another American. He was an ex-army guy, calls me up. He goes, yo, can you um, come over and kind of help me train these guys in CQB? And CQB is close quarters battle. Um, that's fighting kind of inside of houses and trenches, that kind of stuff. Because uh, that was kind of what I specialized in. And um, at the time, I was like, sure, man, I'll come over for two or three months. I'll put my life on hold. You know, I'll do all the things that you want to do just for you. Um, yeah, let's and, do all um, the things that you want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, 
yeah, I got over here, man, and I, I just kind of uh, really kind of missed the military kind of lifestyle a little bit. Um, I didn't miss, like, the dumb stuff, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. and having to be clean-shaven. Right. But in Ukraine, we don't have to do any of that. So I missed all the fun shooting and, you know, basically, you know, playing soldier. That's essentially what we're doing, um, but for real. So, uh, yeah, I kind of loved it. Uh, fell in love with the people. Like, Odessa is an awesome city. It's, you know, it's like the – they call it the Pearl of the Black Sea. It's kind of – I don't want to call it like a Miami, but it's a big resort town. You know, like, there's beach clubs, all that kind of stuff. Um, when the war's not going on, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, just kind of fell in love with it and just, you know, honestly decided to stay. And at that point in time, um, the brigade that I was training, which was called the 126th, Territorial Defense Force um, offered me a contract to join the Ukrainian military, and now here I am, 16, 17 months later, man, still doing the same job. All right, so let me back up a little bit, because I was in the Navy myself. Yeah. So you're in the Navy. Uh, what, what, what are you doing in the Navy? What are you? Okay, yep. So um, I was a SWIC for a period of time. Um, were you familiar with that? Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewman? Okay. No, yeah. not really, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So SWIC falls under the Special Operations Command umbrella. Okay. Uh, everyone's like, oh, you're like a SEAL. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not even close. Um, I'm like the soccer mom that drops SEALs off to go do their thing. Okay. Um, yeah, but within that, um, a lot of our thing is doing uh, VBSS, which is like visit board search and seizures of uh, boats that potentially have weapons, cocaine, narcotics, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so a lot of it's all very tight, close quarters, you know, fighting. Um, so that's where the kind of the correlation came in from how do I go from the Navy to a land-based deal? Um, and that's actually the same reason why they sent me to Iraq was to go clear houses and things like that when we were going after high-value targets. Got it. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah. but yeah. you say that now you are – you are a member of the Ukraine military officially mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah, I'm 100% Ukrainian military. You know, I got a little passport that says it and everything, man. Yeah, okay. they've been paying me. It's nice. Okay, and when, you know, America's involvement in this is, of course, a lot of supplying um, ammunition and, and weaponry, mm-hmm. whatever supplies, things of that nature. Are you able to train? Is that part of what you're doing is, is training the military and how to use these weapons? Or do you know how to use them based on your military um, history? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, when it comes to the small arms side of it, you know, the, your M16s, uh, machine guns, that kind of stuff, 50 cal, uh, M240, golf, the saw, these are all just, um, you know, light machine guns, heavy machine guns, that kind of small firearms. Um I can definitely teach them on that because we do we do have a lot of those. Uh, but more what I was there for is is the tactic side of it. Is like it doesn't matter what rifle you have in your hand when you enter a door, you still need to enter that door the same way. It doesn't matter, right? You know, um, how do you dominate that space and how do you win the fight? Right. I saw the Irishman. I think he says, uh, "With a knife, you run. With a gun, you rush. You rush the guy." Right. That's all, that's <laughs> yeah. all I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's so, a great quote, man. That's a great quote. This has been. I think I saw the other day that we're at like seventy some weeks now that this war has been going on. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. It's you're at about five hundred days. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah, because I was here. They so they it popped off. Was it February twenty fourth? 
I got here end of April. So, yeah, you're talking, yeah, whatever, 18 months, 70, 70 weeks. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so you were there quick. I mean, it didn't take you long from the time that they launched this until you were there. I know you thought it was only going to last a few days, but uh, looking yeah. back now, you've been there uh, for the majority of this conflict, war, yeah. whatever we're calling it. And we know that, or at yeah. least we, the impression that we were getting over here from mostly social media, but also from regular media, was that morale in Ukraine was well was good much better i think than than russia expected or than putin expected to see this pride and to see this morale and to see this this level of hope and resistance and all of these things that i think they were hoping they wouldn't face at at quite such levels is that still strong today uh yeah that 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 can't be more true um it's more true today than it was before because now they're winning you know they're winning major battles they're they're seeing they're seeing their commitment turn into results on the battlefield, if that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, when you walk in with high morale and you're not really getting anywhere, that, that kind of busts you down a little. But if you uh, watch this at all, you know, we took Kherson back um, in November. We were up in Kharkiv last September. We took a lot of land back there. Um, you know, and that, that all that does is continue to boost morale. Um, so, yeah, that resolve is, is much, much higher now because everyone really believes that they can win this war and they definitely can. Um, and a lot of that comes from this, these Western military, you know, aid packages and stuff. All right. Let me back up again. Yeah. Let me back up to the story again. So you're sitting at home, you're in Savannah, Georgia, and you say a guy calls you, who's this guy and who does he work for? Yeah. So, um, his name is is Alex, um, Tobias and, and he's from, uh, he's from Rhode Island. Um, and he spent 10 years in the um, Army. He was a 11 Bravo inter- in, sorry, infantryman. Um, and then he switched over. He became a – oh, my goodness. He wasn't a Ranger. Sorry, I'm not that familiar with, with Army sure. stuff. But okay. he was a uh, – yeah, he, he became – he's a parachute, you know, airborne kind of guy. Sure. Um, anyways, he had actually – believe it or not, he was stationed in Washington, D.C., got shot in the leg right, by some random guy trying to steal his car, got discharged, um, went to Syria the same time I was there, then left that to fight um, in the Donbass War, which started in 2014. And he's kind of lived, he's lived in Ukraine since, I believe, 2016, 2017. Um, and we just kind of stayed in touch through, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know, things like that. Right. All right. Uh, so I'm just trying to put together the picture for me because so now you you're, you guys are both out of the service, mm-hmm. but you're going to fight in these other places, Syria, yeah. the Ukraine. Uh, and mm-hmm. So you're contracted by somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. And who are you working for and who calls you when you're at your job in Wichita and says, yo, this thing's going on in yeah. Syria. Why don't you get over here and help us fight them? Yeah, so uh, both times, so it, no one no one called me. Uh, like, well, Alex called me with Ukraine, but, like, with Syria, it was a deal where um, I literally, I, I wanted to go get in a fight. It took, I was kind of left behind in that one. I sat around for, like, four months and didn't really do anything um, because the war had settled down because it had been going on for two or three years at that point. But, no, it was literally, I got online and I Googled how to go fight in Syria. And the YPG's little website came up, and they're like, oh, fly to Turkey, and we'll smuggle you in and all that. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's go do that. 
smuggle uh, me into was, a war. It wasn't contracted. It was all a self-funded deal, um, kind of freedom fighter deal, whatever you want to call it. Um, now, when you I say that, when that you say that over, this wasn't contracted and this was, is this because you're not allowed to tell us that it was contracted? Oh, I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, no, there was there was no contract there. Um, yeah, I, if it would have been, I probably would have stayed longer, to be honest. So okay. Would have had more money. Okay. <laughs> you know? Okay. So this is just um, literally wanting to get into so the that fight. Was the same thing with Ukraine is I looked at my bank account and I said, well, this is how much money I've got so I can stay for this long, you know. Um, and like that, I would have been back in the last summer um, had I not been offered a contract with the Ukrainian military directly. Okay. So now it's a it's a paid job. You're there. They're happy with you. I, I mean, uh, what's the, the the language barrier like? Are you picking up on any language? Do a lot of the people there speak um, a little bit of English at least, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a couple things that are really really helpful here with the language barrier uh, because I was really worried about that when I got here, right? Because it's not just a different language. I mean, the whole alphabet. It's a different is alphabet. Different. You know, yeah. like you go to. You know, you go to Mexico, you can kind of sort out like, oh, baño, oh, bathroom. Right. You know, there's some similarities. Restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, And here, like, they have Salik, and it's just completely different. Um, But it helps because a lot of Ukrainians, um, they start learning um, English around seventh or eighth grade. So a lot of them have a a decent baseline there. Okay. and then the other big part is a lot of their their media, you know, television, radio, like it's it's all American, British, that kind of stuff. So there's a heavy amount. They pick up a lot of English just from watching movies, you know, radio, music, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, their slang is really, really good. They're really good at curse words and all that kind of stuff because <laughs> okay. of it. Um, so there was that. And then, you know, um, coming here as well. You know, you, you have to be open to try to learn things, to be able to communicate without the language, right? So, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you, you point at your eyeballs, like, hey, look at this. Like, what is what is this? Sure. And they'll say, like, oh, like, you know, oh, that's karitsa. I'm like, chicken. Karitsa, chicken. Oh, yeah, all and right, And then you cool. figure yeah, it out. I, yeah. I want, yeah, give me that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, they're, and they're all super approachable people here. You know, they're not this Soviet statue type people that everyone kind of pictures them as you know they're mm-hmm. they're cool folks man they're just like us and and you've been in i'm sorry it's odessa right ukraine yeah so you- um yeah when i originally got here odessa is where i based out of um because the war was about two hours east of me so that's where a lot of the training grounds were um i've now sent um i'm, I'm on a little like weekend i have a little pass you know 72 hour pass to be back um Usually I, I'm up in Hassan, like right on the river. It's kind of weird. You can walk right up to it. And you're like, wow, there's Russians like right over there. You know, you can't shoot each other. You can't really see each other. But it's like they're right there. Right. And, and so I guess what I was going to ask is, and you, and you mentioned earlier that Odessa, you know, the it's been spared. There's not been like battles going on there. But how, how close has it gotten? Has there been, you know, are you seeing planes fly over? Are you hearing the blast nearby? Has it gotten closer? But it sounds to me like you've gone uh, closer to some of the action yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Odessa, no, you don't really see the planes or any of that. Um, we do get a lot of um, air raids for missiles, stuff like that. They they target Odessa once every couple of days with missile strikes. Um, that's just kind of part of life because it's a huge port city. Um, so they're always, you know, they're going after infrastructure and things that Ukraine can make money off of, you know, exporting grain right. or, uh, you know, watermelon, if yeah. you will, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, when you get up to Hassan, it's, you know, you're 
in your apartment, you can hear the artillery coming in it's every day where you're up in the trench line, depending on where you are. Uh, yeah, and it, that's a, just a daily thing. So Russia's launching, lobbying uh, missiles in, in that direction, but they just continue to get shot down by the defense systems? Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Since um, since U.S. has started sending over the Patriot systems as well as um, Germany, they send over this thing. It's called a Panzerflak. Um, their success rate against uh, drone attacks and missile attacks is something like 93 94%. So nine and a half out of every 10 missiles get shot out of the air. Wow. Um, so, that, yeah, their, their success rate's been way, way better. The, the problem is, is when you shoot down a missile right over a heavily populated area, you're still going to have all that debris and that warhead can still possibly be intact sure. and it's still hitting buildings, uh, infrastructure, schools, you know, whatever, whatever just happens to be underneath it. Right. And as far as schools and all that day to day life in a place like Odessa, what is 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 there some, uh, I guess, uh, you know, semblance of, of, of normal life still happening? Kids going um, to school, yeah, yeah. hospitals um, open. Yeah. So it, it's it's really, really weird here, man. It's not like, um, you know, like when you picture a war as an American, you think Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, where you're going to this little bitty base or this FOB, you know, Ford operating base. And you stay behind these big walls, and then you go outside of it, and every six months you get a leave, or nine months you get to go back home. Um, Odessa here, life as they know it just continues, um, and that's part of their resistance you know, to the Russians because the Russians want to hit them with missiles to keep them scared, and they want them to live in fear. And Ukrainians are kind of like, the hell with you, man. We're going we're gonna to go out to the restaurants. We're going to go get a beer. You know, yeah. I can go to a restaurant, get a beer, go get a pizza, you would have no idea wars going on. But, you know, I drive three hours east, totally different ball game. You know, cities are ghost towns, and it's you have to generally worry about, you know, fear for your life to a certain degree. What's the pizza like in the Ukraine? Dude, it's actually really good. Um, what, what shocked me more than anything, just in general, was how good the food is here, man. It's I, cause I literally, you know, I came over with meals ready to eat, you know, hiking rations, thinking I was going to be eating rice and, you know, you know, just very, very basic food. And I get here, I'm like, what? what? I thought there was a war going on here, man. Right. Like, what happened? You know, I thought I missed, I got, missed a memo or something, you know? All right, so as uh, a guy who was in the Navy, and yeah. uh, I was in uh, Desert Storm. Okay. When you, so when you go over there, I have a few questions, because you obviously you know the military is, uh, well, I mean, the Navy and every U.S. military, I would guess, but I'm only familiar with the Navy, is very regimented in, in the sense that we all have jobs. We all know yeah. what those jobs are. It's like a giant football team. And don't yeah. fuck yeah, up yeah. your job, right? Like, you have yeah. one job, fucking do it. And yeah. everybody else will do theirs, and we're good, and you've trained for whatever this fucking job is, right? So yeah. I was yeah. a fireman, right? It, you know, and then part of the ship's self-defense force. So... Yeah. Those, those, I have to do those two things. Everything else, I don't know shit about. I don't know how your fucking gyroscope works. And don't give a fuck, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. I really don't know. So, yeah. um, but when yeah. you go over there and that you say, I'm going to start training people, mm -hmm. like, who are you training? Who has decided that you're, and I don't mean this in, 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 with any disrespect, but who's decided that you're qualified to train anybody? Right, because I could go over there and be like, "Yeah, I was in the Navy, fought in a yeah. desert storm, 
fucking Dude. pulled some no, guns on people, there. fucking drove the boat, put out some fires. What do you guys need, bro? I got you. But I'm not uh, sure I'm qualified uh, to teach anybody fucking anything, to be honest with you. Uh, I tell you what, that was the number one biggest problem we had um, at the beginning of the war. You had every dude that played airsoft, paintball, right. was a general level 57 in Call of Duty, <laughs> modern warfare right. over here. Like, oh, look, I can do all this. Um, and and the Ukrainians for at the beginning of the war, man, they really suffered from that because you had guys who thought they knew what they were doing. Um, for me personally, what I did when I came over, because I, I just, and again, coming from the military, right, if you go from one unit to another, you bring all your documentation, right? You show all the, these are classes I've been to. This is the sure. courses that I've received. This this is the, you know, like, here's my, my level of medals. You know, I here's my Navy commendation medal. Here's my Iraq campaign medal. Here's my deployment medal. You know what I mean? Like, right. So I came over and I showed them all that. Now, because um, I want to slow down. Who do you show? The general of the yeah, Ukrainian so, army? You know what I mean? Like, it's not a captain of a U.S. boat. Yeah, no, so... Um, yeah, my buddy Alex who was already over here because he was he was already with the 37th Marine Brigade um, and had gotten transferred to this 126th Territorial Defense. Um, brought me in. We sat down with a guy named Colonel Nikita, who um, is very good English speaking. He's trained with uh, NATO for a number number of years. Is very familiar with you know that U.S. Western system, okay. NATO style system. Um, brought him brought in my paperwork, um, and then I also brought in uh, had him call a couple of like my old commander, you know, they were lieutenants at the time and now they're colonels or they work at Lockheed Martin. Cause that's what everyone does when they get out of the military, apparently. Right. Um, for references. Um, and that's all, that's honestly, I was one of the first guys where they actually started vetting me. Um, or they started vetting people for, uh, the units down here in the South. Okay. Because they just had so many guys come over and all they wanted to do was, you know, they didn't they didn't understand what war really was. They'd never been to it before. Right. So but yeah, um, with that, it's it's super different, man. Like um, Ukrainian military is not centralized like, say, the American military is right. There's not like this one processing station that everyone goes through and then you're assigned to a unit. It's kind of you get over here to Ukraine. You find a unit and you get in touch with the colonel or the cap, you know, whoever, it, battalion level, brigade level, wherever it is you're going to be. And um, then you kind of have that conversation with them. It's much more like looking for a job back in the States. You know what I mean? You kind of put your resume out, and you see who needs what, and then you go to that place. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, one of the things that, you know, with the, with the military, obviously is, you know, you go through the recruiting process, then you go to boot camp, right? And then when you get out of boot camp, you go to some sort of training. And then Mm -hmm. when you get out of training, then you're assigned to, for us, it was whatever ship. But I think, you know, if you're, you know, you go to whatever station I get. I don't know what you do if you're on the land. I have no idea. But so I went to a ship and then another ship and then another ship, right? So when you do that and you just roll into this segment of people right i i I, are they called what are they called troops brigades yeah yeah yeah. infantry yeah soldiers okay so when you go there and there's a colonel in charge and you say hey my name's you know whatever steve from you know pensacola and i'm ready to kick ass (laughs) like is he like so like one you say he vets you to make sure you know and you bring all your documentation that wasn't happening at the beginning the other part is 
what I, I I just have to be, and I hate to be that guy, but what's no, stopping no. Russian dudes from saying, "Hey, here to help"? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, well, if I was a Russian soldier, I just roll up and be like, "Yo, here to help you guys kick their ass," and then yeah, kick um, your ass, Trojan <laughs> horse. Yeah. Right. No. So um, a couple things. That one, the big giveaway would be the passport, right? Right. Um, but I guess the Russians passport. are probably smart enough to get a different passport, right? Yeah, um, and you, you could do that. Um, and there were instances of that happening um, in, a, in a negative way. But here they also do what, once you um, start the process to join the military, you go through what is called their SBU. And SBU here would be equivalent to not CIA, like more like FBI kind of. Like they okay. do this whole full background check. You know, they go through, um, you know, all your social medias, your statuses, where you're from, who you're associated with, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and that's how they vet that. But with that being said, there's actually whole units of, of Russians that are fighting for Ukraine right now. Um, in fact, six or seven weeks ago, these groups of Russians actually invaded Russia. Um, they actually crossed the border. And that was our whole big deal was well, look, man, these are Russians going back into Russia. They can do whatever they want. We're just going to kind of keep our hands off of it because these aren't Ukrainians invading Russia. They're Russians invading Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guys that do that are not – they're not really pro-Ukrainian. They just don't like Putin. They want to have, see regime change within Russia, and they feel this is the best way to make that happen. Okay. All right. Now, we've been talking during the yeah. week about – and I don't know, you know, uh, your knowledge, I guess, uh, you know – politically in the area um you know i I can only think back to and and maybe it's it's massive and maybe you're you you know uh you know politically knowledgeable again i just you know you base everything from your own experience and in desert storm one they were just like basically you know hey you gotta go fight these fuckers and you're like yeah all right i don't know and then they're like well why and you're like well don't fucking ask why (laughs) right and then you get out and 20 years later you're like i'm not sure that was all the right thing i'm you know who knows you know i'm not sure i liberated anybody when i was there but um (laughs) right when you're now you're there and you hear this story of this uh, other Russian guy who owns well, or the Wagner group, right? The, the Wagner Lish, group, yeah, they own some sort of what appears to be Blackrock type military, yeah. Russian military, right? Yeah, they were, yeah, very Blackwater type, right? Yeah, triple canopy, all that kind of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, they are a, a private military company, right? Uh, and so you see them and they're fighting with what appears to be Putin and Russian soldiers. And are you on top of that? And you're like, all right, who is the good guy here? Who is the bad guy? Do I trust this yeah. Wagner group? Because I'm not sure I do. I don't, you know, who, like, yeah. that's the thing. Like, what I, I just go back to, and you, you said it, like, you're in Syria in the Middle East, and it's completely different. But some of it feels the same. Like, when I'm over there, like, hey, you know, the Saudis and the Kuwaitis are the good guys, and the Iraqis are the bad guys. And I'm like... Yeah. Well, wait, but that wasn't the case last time yeah. we were here, and it's not the case the yeah, next time we're here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's um, – yeah, all right. So to answer that question, um, Ukrainians, we have no trust. We want nothing to do with PMC Wagner. Um, what that was was um, the upper echelons of the Russian military were getting into inter – you know, inter-fight – you know, they were fighting against each other for resources as far as ammunition, 
Um, then there were several instances where Russian military had actually dropped artillery shells on Wagner Group positions. On purpose and, or accident? Yeah. Um, They're not sure, and that's supposedly. The thing is no one really knows outside of, you know, Russian Ministry of Defense. Okay, so Wagner both group, sides are you know. speculating. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, and um, Pragalkin, the, the head of the Wagner Group, had had enough. And he was like, well, fuck you guys. Guess what? I'm going to march on Moscow. Because he had also been unhappy with the way that the Russian military command had been uh, conducting the war. He thought that Russians should be more aggressive, that we should be attacking, that they should be um, you know, targeting civilian infrastructure way, way more than Russia already has. And so what his march was was not to necessarily overthrow Putin, but he wanted to make the point that new leadership is needed in order for Russia to win the war. So it's weird. Because so his point was, because I kept asking that question when it was happening, and my question in my head was, why did this guy march on Russia and yeah. then partly through it just say, cool, I'll go to Belarus, relax? Because it felt to me like yeah. you're almost there. Why not just take the goddamn thing? Yeah, no, and, right. And, and, right? Like it didn't make any sense to me. But you saying that all he was saying is, I just want to prove to you that I could. Yeah, um, that's what it was because, and this is a weird thing to say, but really what that fight was over was an argument on how to kill Ukrainians best. That's really what, what the whole disagreement came from. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like Prigozhin was ever saying we shouldn't be fighting in Ukraine and we shouldn't be killing Ukrainians and we're going to start helping Ukrainians. It was more about we should be uh, killing I just want to show you that my my military might is better than yours. I'm going to show the world real quick. Yeah, and and the rumor has it, um, and this is, again, completely speculation, what you catch off Instagram, social media, you know, hearsay, was that um, the head of of Wagner's uh, group his family was actually taken and detained in Moscow. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And he fled to Belarus, and they reached an agreement, so his family wasn't accidentally thrown out of a 30-story building. Right, right. You know, that stuff is so crazy to me when you think about it, and I'm just, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. I'm not. But every time you hear this kind of shit, you're like, wouldn't the guy who's in charge of Wagner Group or whatever know that if he fucking attacks Moscow, that Putin's going to kill his family? Like, wouldn't you get your yeah. family out of there first? Like, if I decided to go attack Biden, I'd be like, I better make sure my kids aren't here because they're going to go grab my family. Not that, yeah. it, it, I mean, yeah. obviously Putin would be worse, but they're going to question my kids. They're going to go to my house. They're going to find anybody that's close to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, I, I absolutely agree with you, man. It is just completely wild. The, the entire of it was you know, and that i mean us as you you know i'm an american but the ukrainian military as a whole like i can't tell you how many people we were listening to this you know so i was with with uh, a company that was trained about 70 dudes and you know it starts popping up on everybody's phone we're having a cigarette break and everyone and i start getting real big you hear them you know speaking in ukrainian i'm like what the hell is going on here man and right talking about and no one really knew how to react to it because it was just so wild. Well, that's right. the problem. There's not a lot of journalists or reporters that don't work for Russian state yeah. media left in Russia. And I heard just as recently as uh, last night 
which, you know, it, a lot of this is, I guess, speculation, but they were saying it's completely possible that Prigozhin says, we're going to march on Moscow, let's do this. He gets it, you know, he takes over whatever city it was. They're 120 miles outside of Moscow, and two things happen. One, he doesn't see nearly as many people in Putin's circles start to turn and say, yeah, we're with Prigozhin here, yep. we're against Putin. And he also looks behind him, you know, like, where's everybody? We're, we're marching on the quad, you know, that sort of thing, and there's nobody there. And they're like, right. it's just you, and he's like, shit. I thought we were all yeah. going to go march on Moscow and found out, like, no, there's nobody coming behind you. And the people in Putin's inner circle are not in there, you know, strangle holding him right yeah, now. So I, you might I need to work that, something that, out. Yeah, I think that that was a big part of it. Um, you know, I, I think if he, if he had the support that he thought he was going to have, I don't think it would have stopped so quickly, you know. Right. Um, because, you know, we because that's the other thing is we were getting reports like, oh, there's this special forces battalion that's going to join them, and there's certain groups that are going to join them, and um, I don't, I guess it never really materialized. Yeah, and the thing that makes uh, the least amount... we know that somewhere within the Russian Ministry of Defense that there were people backing um, this coup or this little march because these guys have now been detained and they are in gulags somewhere in Russia. But the, no one's heard from them in three days. But the, the story that we're hearing about Prigozhin being sent to Belarus... Uh, Belarus and and that all these fighters, which I think they said that the Wagner group has like 50,000 troops or something. Yeah. Basically, Putin's deal is, all right, if you guys just swear your allegiance to Russia and say you're sorry, then no hard feelings, you know? And it's like, yeah. that's not usually how Putin operates. He's not a no hard feelings kind of Yeah, but I think what president. he's saying, yeah. I, at <laughs> least if I get it, Chaz, if I, if I, and we're talking to Chaz, yeah. who is over in the Ukraine training soldiers and now part of the Ukrainian army, apparently. Um, yeah. I think what you're saying is that uh, they didn't have any other choice that Putin, and if I'm hearing this right, that Putin had him. Yeah. yeah but yeah, I, Putin I think, also um, was in a place where, you know what, let's make this deal because you guys did get pretty close to Moscow. And if I piss you off too much, I don't want to lose this thing, but I, I'm letting you know, I'm going to let you go. Yeah. Right. Um, but he also, I'm going to let you go because it came real close to me not winning this thing, but I happened to. Yeah. There's, there's uh, a lot of that was definitely a safe face within his people because, you know, even though it lasted a few days, it was able to all get settled down. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got Russians marching on Moscow. Like, right. that's not a good look for you as a president. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, or, uh, you know, whatever, if you're a ruler, dictator, whatever it is you are, prime minister, it's not a good look when you have private military groups marching on the Capitol yeah. forever, however long that may be. That's that's just a bad sign. Yeah, the whole know? story is bizarre. Um, I just feel like we're going to learn more about what was actually happening and why there was these stories about Belarus. But I do. I have a question for actually both of you, kind of, because mm -hmm. I've heard Laszlo yeah. talk about this in the past with his experience uh, in Desert Storm. And Laszlo's told the story of, of being on the ship, and there was, a, a, I guess you call it a, an enemy plane that had come down, and there was a body floating in the water. Yeah. And that someone came up and tried to take a picture, uh, like an American uh, service member tried to come up and take a picture with the disposable camera, and he was reprimanded immediately, and the camera was taken away. And mm -hmm. now we see, I mean, World War II, we learned in school, that was kind of the first war that, that was, you know, videoed. Yeah, really, and we got yeah, to see televised. It, televised yeah, to the world, yeah. yeah. And so we've certainly seen televised wars before, but at least in my experience as an American in the middle of the country here, as far as social media and, and, and I guess regular media goes, but certainly with social media this time around, this is the first time I've seen 
So many of these videos of, you know, last week it was the bunker being busted by the Ukrainians. It was these Russians being taken by surprise. You are seeing Russian soldiers getting shot point blank with what look like GoPro cameras on their head. And there's these little insignias Mm -hmm. on most of these videos that look to be, you know, Ukrainian. Like this is from whether it's from the Mm -hmm. government or from the Ukrainian military. And I'm sure it's used as some form of. You know, propaganda, not yeah. that propaganda is always a bad thing to say, look, look at what we're doing. Yeah. We, we can win. The Russians better not mess with us. And so I assume mm-hmm. that that's the strategy there. The thinking is let's show the Ukrainians that, uh, you know, we're, we're winning the, these these battles. How do you two feel about that? And and I mean, I'm sure you both understand that that's probably their logic. But how do you feel about us sitting here? watching these people being killed and kind of, in my mind, kind of desensitizing, especially a new generation of people to war and to killing. It was already, you had the video games, but I always said, that's not real. Kids don't think those are real. But now you're watching what looks exactly like a video game, except it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to go first, man? Well, I mean, to me, when those bodies were in the water and those planes had been shot down, and the guy came out, there was more than one guy on the boat who came out with a camera to take a picture. And when the captain came down, you know, I didn't think too much about it when they were taking the pictures. I didn't run to go get one, but, I, you know, I didn't think, I, I honestly didn't think about it. Like, oh, look, this guy's going to take a picture. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and when the captain came down and he said, you know, put those cameras back, put them away. And the one thing he said, which struck me was, those people had families. They were fathers, they were sons, they were, you know, uh, brothers, husbands. And while we're at war with them, we should fucking respect them. And we don't fucking take pictures of their dead fucking bodies. Yep. And it hit me like, oh, shit. You know, I was a young guy, right? You know, I'm, I don't even think I'm 21. And it hit me like, oh, he's right. These aren't just faceless blocks of nothing. Nothing's black and They're white. They're human beings, and... You know, and for all I know, like I said earlier, and it hit me, like, I wasn't politically motivated to go over and liberate Kuwait. I happened to join the military a year before that war happened, right? And then they were like, you go. I didn't have any other options. So how do I know that guy flying the plane did not give a flying fuck about his cause, Saddam Hussein or whatever, right? He didn't care. He just was told to go fucking do this. He was my age, and he was flying a plane, you know? So I I think, you know, and then when I look back on it, I think that captain of that boat that I was on handled that in a very remarkable way, but not only because I think he was a good man and a good captain and those things. You know, I do think that, but I think because he was really well-trained. And so when I, when, later on, when I saw in the other wars, um, the pictures coming out of Abu Ghraib. Yeah. And then you find that the person in charge of that is, and I don't mean this in a bad way because everybody does their thing, but the person in charge of that is uh, a reservist. And I think to myself, not that they're, they're not, no, I do think to myself, I think they're not qualified for that. And because they just haven't gone to, you know, a Navy War College, they haven't spent all the time. During their regular life, they're an accountant. And so when you go yeah. over there, you're like me as that person who's like, man, they got cameras. I don't fucking know, right? But yeah. it took all yeah, those yeah. years of training for that captain to finally become a captain of that ship to know, put your fucking cameras away, and I'm going to give you a little speech real quick about why you don't fucking do that. 
But if you're not doing that your entire life and you're not part of that your entire life, then it doesn't seem so odd to take the pictures. And so I just saw that and thought, we're taking people. And again, I don't blame that lady who was in charge of it. I blame us, U.S. military and the U.S. government, for putting people in charge of things that they're not fucking qualified to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's and I my do take think that on. taking pictures of, of people being tortured, obviously, or even just taking pictures of dead bodies and, and kind of gawking at, you know, yeah. look at this. I just think that to me, I think, you know, that leave that for look, if, if your government wants to do it, you know, I, I, I'm not a fan, but I'm also not a fan of hiding. Well, me neither. Exactly. Right? Like, I'm I torn. think if, if people are coming home in body bags and coffins with flags stripped on them, Show you know, it. that's how you make it real. But, you know, I'm not a fan of, you know, like you said, some guy who plays Call of Duty taking pictures of people getting shot in their head and then sending it out on Twitter. I, I, I'm not a fan of that. I, I'm not a fan of it either. Um, and I, I'm very much in that same mindset as you, you know, because um, it sucks. Like, as human beings, man, like, we're voyeuristic. Like, think about how many times you see a car wreck and how many people have to stop and they have to look to see if someone's hurt or injured or dead. Right. You know right. what I mean? And it's it's terrible because that's just society that's that's who we are as human beings um and i hate it i I absolutely hate it um i'm not a fan of it at all when like you're talking about like oh you got these guys in a trench and you know they they pop the guy in the head and it's like you know i understand why you have to videotape it because you need to send that to your command and you have to assess what happens but it shouldn't go past that level it shouldn't be on instagram and twitter i think that's i think that's horrible um you know, and that's totally different from talking about atrocities as far as like, you know, we needed to videotape the Holocaust. We need to videotape exactly. the genocide. Like that stuff, 100%. People need to see that awful side of war, but they don't need to have that intricate detail and, and desensitize yourself to uh, to what death and what war really is. Because, I mean, especially with video games and as realistic as you were talking about earlier, it's like they don't understand that that, that person's not going to breathe. And that person, just like your captain said, like, that's gonna. There's a mother somewhere crying for that kid, or right. that, that man. You know, there's a there's a dad that's got to bury his son, and no one should have to do that. That's horrible. And we, know, think and of, we think of we think of our enemies as our enemies because our leaders tell us that. Yeah. And so, yeah. like when I was in the United Arab Emirates and we were at war, you know, uh, uh, you go to different bases, and you know, you're not like you're saying, you're not constantly at war. Uh, there's times where you're just sitting around having beers, right? And uh, yeah. Yeah. with your buddies, you're taking a cab to the market. Like, it, 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 it's yeah. a strange thing that I don't think people... I don't think unless you're there, you can kind of comprehend because you can go one day where it's the scariest shit in your life and the next day where it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, you guys want to swing by Pizza Hut and then the Hilton and watch some shitty yeah. band, right? Yeah. Next thing you're at Hard Rock Casino gambling <laughs> in Boy City. Right. right? Like, it's, it's such a weird thing. Wrong. But what struck me when I was there was, you know, uh, taking a cab. I remember it was during, and I've told this story before, but I remember it was during Ramadan. And I'm in a cab, and I'm looking for a beer. And I'm like, I just want a beer. And the cab driver's like, Ramadan, no beer. I'm like, come on, man, somebody drinks fucking beer here during Ramadan. And he's like, no beer, no beer, no drinking, Ramadan. I'm like, don't. this is bullshit. You're telling me that everybody in this fucking country is religious? I don't fucking believe it. And he goes, fine. And he took me to a hotel, 
and said, go to the 14th floor, room whatever, and knock on the door. Now, looking back on that, I think, what a dumb fuck. He knows I'm in the military. They could have just killed me, right? They would have been like, there you go. But I go to the room, I knock on the door, and there's, I don't know, maybe six guys uh, just sitting in a room pounding Miller Lights like it's going out of style. And I sit down and start drinking Miller Lights with them. And at one point, I got drunk and knocked over one of the boxes. They're like, shut the fuck up. Like, don't make any noise. If people come in here, they're going to kill us. They're not going to do anything to you, but they're going to kill us. I remember that and talking to these guys as much as I could with a language barrier and laughing yeah. and all these things. And then the next day, being on a boat and shooting missiles into that area. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, these fucking five guys do not give a shit. Shit. Yeah, they, they don't. don't. They're not. They don't hate Americans. They didn't hate me. They don't hate anything yeah. about it. They're just trying to find a place like anybody else during Ramadan to pound some Miller Lights. Yeah, yeah, just want a beer, man. Right. No, that's um, you know that that that's um, so uh, all right. So uh, first off, that's a that's a great story because it's amazing the stuff you'll go through in the the shady positions you'll push somebody to get a beer in a third world country like <laughs> right, that. Right. Yeah, right. That's it's, it's absolutely wild like I I've, I've done that similar thing. It's like, "Oh yeah, just go down to this port and knock on this, <laughs> you know, this storage container and they'll let you in." You're like, oh, "Okay, and there's nine guys named Boris." It's like, well, <laughs> right. "This isn't good." <laughs> right. Um but um, you know, with that um Americans, right? Like they don't care about Americans. I'm with you. They don't hate us. Um but here it is much different. Um, Ukrainians and Russians hate each. Like there's a genuine hatred here. Like they are not a single culture. Um, and you can look all the way back to like the 1850s, the Crimean Wars. Um, but Russia has constantly tried to has done genocide on uh, you know the Ukrainian people. They in the 30s, you know, under Stalin, they starved them to death. The big famine here. I don't know if you got. I don't know how familiar you are with Ukrainian history because I had to. Well, I started reading a lot about it and watching a lot of YouTube videos, which I don't know how reliable those yeah. are. Once the war started, because I was curious, because you'd hear some of these people who, especially some people who, I guess on the right, just as sort of a knee-jerk reaction because Biden was supporting the Ukrainians, were saying, "Oh, you know, Ukraine." Yeah. And I guess these people were mostly conspiracy theorists; they right. weren't really just right-leaning yeah, people. Yeah. But oh, saying yeah, Ukraine is filled or with something. Nazis, yeah. or they're eighty percent, you know, sympathetic to the Russians, or they're they're eighty percent <laughs> ethnic Russians, or whatever. You'd hear so many different things. So so I did try and learn a little bit about it, but obviously my yeah. knowledge is still very limited. Um, yeah, so going all the way back to, like, 1850s, right? So Crimea is this island that um, has been occupied by the Russians since 2014, right? right? Yeah. Um, so anyways, back in the 1850s, it was it was actually the Tartars is what they were called, right? Um, and Russia wanted to make this a pro-Russian area. They wanted Crimea because that's how you control the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov. And so what they were doing is they were systematically killing Tartars or sending them into, you know, central and eastern Russia and bringing in, you know, guys from Moscow into Crimea to make it a pro-Russian um, kind of area. Mm -hmm. And that's what they've been doing in Donbass. Like, it's really easy to make something pro-Russian if you take all the Ukrainians out of an area and, and you deport them full of somewhere Russians. else. Yeah. Um, and because of that... Uh, that, and that's why there's a lot of hatred. And this is like that. This is something that's been going on for, you know, centuries almost. Sure. You're talking almost 200 years, 180 years. That's been kind of stuff's been going on. Yeah. And then we grow up in, in, as, you know, Americans, at least, you know, Gen Xers, baby boomers, older millennials, I suppose. And 
we think of Ukraine, you know, you think of Rocky, it's the Soviet Union. Yeah, and sure. so in our mind, it's like, is it is it Russia? Is it not Russia? Was it when when the Soviet Union yeah. broke up? Is it, is it its own thing? Do they like Russia? Are they mad they split? Or are they happy they split? Yeah. And that's, so, we're just so yeah. ignorant to the so whole you, area. Dude, and, and back to it, like I said, and that's what makes it so convoluted and hard to understand unless you've literally been here a long time. So like I said, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out because it's really odd, right? Like, you know, you go through, you go walk it down. So there's a park right next to uh, my apartment in Odessa that I keep. You know, I, I like to go down there and walk. They got little markets out there, the old babushkas, the old grandmas, you know, making shirts and selling right. knickknacks, you know. Um, you go into the dead center, there is these massive Soviet Union era statues. Right. And I'm like, well, I thought you guys hated. He's like, no, 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 we, we hate Russia. But when we were part of the Soviet Union, we were very proud of what we did to defeat Nazi Germany. And we right. lost because lives. that's we, the national identity of the we, Soviet Union. Right? I mean, that's their our, thing was beating the Nazis. And, and if the Soviet Union yeah. had one thing that they could rally behind, it was the defeat of the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's it, it's like so that's what makes it so convoluted and weird, because, again, you know, I'm 37 growing up. It was you. It was the Soviet Union. It wasn't Russia and Ukraine and Belarus right. and all these other little Soviet countries. It was Soviet Union. Like I said, it was Rocky IV. If he dies, he dies. You right, know? right. Um, well, so, yeah, that, that's real hard to wrap your head around because the history is so intertwined. And um, that's because Russia has wanted to control Ukraine for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, they've always wanted it because Ukraine um, – and even to this day, that's why they want Ukraine. So 70% of grain in Africa comes from Ukraine. And Ukraine feeds something like 20% of the world. Yeah. Okay. That was a crazy stat and that it, we learned after the war had started, right? We had no idea that they were the, the world's breadbasket. Now, yeah. let me ask you this yeah. because you're um, talking about it. And, and it, um, I guess, it, yeah. you know, it, it leads me to the opposite side of that question. Because we both just said, I think, to the American public, they would be shocked. And now maybe you saw different things when you were in Syria and Iraq and those other things. Uh, there was factions of very yes. religious groups that hated Americans. Yes. But for the most yes. part, the people didn't hate us. I don't know that they loved us being there, but they didn't. They weren't yes. like, fuck you guys, I'm going to try to kill you. It was, uh, you know, it was soldiers or warriors. We wouldn't call them that, but... It, whatever they freedom fighters whatever there was people yeah, who whatever, right yeah. right they would hate us and they hated u.s soldiers but the country as a whole i didn't feel like you know the cab drivers weren't like fuck you guys or the people in the bakeries that i didn't get the vibe that they were like you know like cheney said they're gonna welcome welcome us as liberators i think they're kind of like yeah. another fucking american right <laughs> trying to do something yeah, no, here that's dude that's spot on you know like if you look at you know even within iraq you know you have you know, the two major, the Shiites and the Sunni Muslims, or that's really all the Middle East. Right. And then with, within that, you have all these other smaller factions. you got the Kurds up north and everything. and Yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's much more faction. And they, they didn't hate Americans. They hated anybody that came in their land and tried to tell them what to do. Exactly. They, that's what they didn't hate. If you didn't bother them, they didn't care. Right. They don't, they don't care. They so, have nothing against America. Like, yeah, and you're right. There are these extremists, you know, ISIS and these kind of guys. Right. But those are very, very few. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's probably the same equivalent to Americans who hate Muslims just because they're, you know, what I'm saying, right? Like, yes, you know, we always have these crazy churches that, right, you know, go on their their rampages. But yeah, for the most part, in Iraq, they 
didn't hate me. They didn't have a problem with me. They, right. you know. And like I said, they didn't throw daisies at us either. Like, thanks for coming. They were just kind of like, Jesus Christ, you guys ever going to yeah, get over here this? Here we go again. You want, right. You want, yeah, you want a fucking again. Coke or not? Jesus. But my question yeah, to you then jumps into where you are now, and you being able to compare the two. What about the Russians? Do they hate Americans? Like, are they, did you feel that throughout? I, I know you're in war, so you're seeing soldiers, but at least the vibe is that like, hey, Russians, it, it, the people, the government, everybody, they ain't into us. Yeah. So, um, in my personal opinion, this is obviously just me. Um, the general vibe of, of Russia is, yeah, they do not, they don't like America. They don't like the West. I don't think that they ever evolved out of that Cold War era thinking. You know, okay. like we're still trying to dictate their way of life, you know, and they're all worried about NATO and these other things. And it's like, well, NATO hasn't done anything to anybody for like, I don't know, what is it, 40 years when the right. Soviet Union fell? Right. Yeah, we're getting close thirty some. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that is, nineteen ninety. I don't know. I'm not good at math. Yeah, thirty three years, thirty two years, something. You know, it's like there's been no aggression. It's always been, but they still have this standoffish thing, and they don't want certain countries to join NATO because they think it's it weakens them, and that was their big reason to come to Ukraine. But it's like, well, that should be Ukrainians' choice, right? If they want to join NATO and NATO wants them, that's that's between Ukraine and NATO. It has nothing to do with Russia. Well, but that's what, one of the things that we've heard here from the beginning is that the Russian soldiers not so into this. And that, yes, that one of the big issues with Russia, like a lot of these countries, is that all the information they're getting is very, 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 very cultured. It is it is uh, what Putin wants them to see and nothing more. And, you know, this is how, a lot like, I guess we were told things were, were going on during the Cold War. Just limited access yeah. to accurate information of what's going on and how people are yeah. thinking and feeling, yeah. why we're at this war, or why we started this war, and how this war is going. Because Putin is telling people the war is going well, even though, you know, I mean, objectively, I think the rest of the world is looking at it. And he knows that the rest of the world is looking at it and going, things aren't going so well. But we'd hear these stories about how hard it was to get these guys to sign up. We heard about all these young men fleeing the country and saying, I'm just leaving Russia for good. I'm not coming back. Right. And then Russia saying, hey, we'll buy your family a car if you, you know, all these things. So are they are they into it? Like, are they are, are the Russian soldiers as worked up? They're certainly not as worked up as the Ukrainians. I mean, we've already kind of no. been over that. So yeah, so yeah. From a now, from a soldier point of view, because um, we have, I have been around with units that have taken prisoners of war and these kind of things. Um, yeah, for the most part, a lot of these guys, man, they they don't want to be here. They're being conscripted. You know, they are, you know, like Vietnam and the draft. They don't want to be there. They're being forced to do this, and they're being sent to a war that they don't really believe in. And they, you know, what's right? What it says so. Um, it's the same thing on the Ukrainian side, you know, like when after we liberated Kherson, that was a big deal because they were very pro-Ukrainian. Um, and then after that, we moved out to these smaller villages, these little farm towns, you know, 200 people, 300 people, right? Those people do not care. They don't care if it's a Russian or Ukrainian because it doesn't change their way of life. Anymore. Right. Yep. Um, and that's where a lot of these Russian conscripts come from. You know, they're not coming from Moscow. They're not coming from St. Petersburg. Right. They're coming from... Central Europe, you know, Central Russia, Eastern Russia, and they could care less about this war. They want nothing to do with it, but they're being forced into that that position. Yeah. Um, right. So there's people on both sides, that. like in most places, yeah. who are like, man, I just fucking stop it. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they, they want nothing to do with it. They, they do not care. They, yeah. it, it, you know, if Ukraine, you know, if, let's just say Ukraine overthrew Moscow and then all of a sudden they ruled all of Russia. Those guys that are going to war, these conscripts, 
they wouldn't change their life and they wouldn't care. You right, know, exactly. Um, right. You know, so, yeah, from the political point of view, it's very anti-Western. From the personal point of view of these soldiers, I, they, they don't, they have nothing against us. You know, they've never seen a Westerner. Like, there's guys that heard me speaking English and freak them out. They're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> right, right. You know? Right. So what do I you have a question. Never, Go ahead. Well, do you think then, and again, we're getting into politics and just opinion, but my thought on the Middle East not necessarily hating the United States, but Russia, you know, and I know we've gone back and forth, but not not feeling it for the United States, right? Like even the people, Mm -hmm. right? Now, whether they want to actually fight in a war over it, but they don't like us. Um, I always got the vibe and one thing we could never get our head around as Americans was that in the Middle East, it's almost like uh, people don't get mad, but it's almost like Premier League soccer in the way that I say, if you listen to, uh, you know, European soccer, it's club before country. So they root for... Uh, you know, whatever, you, you know, their favorite soccer team is before yeah. they root for England as a country in the world, in, in the World Cup. Yeah. It's club before so, country. I feel that way in the Middle East. It's religion before yeah. country. Yeah, 100%. I don't I, give I a fuck about Syria or Kuwait or whatever. I have this group of people and that's club before country. I feel yeah. like Russia and the United States, and I guess I'm getting that vibe from the Ukraine too, We've all kind of grown up, and Russia did a great job of propaganda, right? And let's not bullshit ourselves. The United States did a wonderful job of propaganda, raising us all, changing. They still make my kids pledge allegiance, right? So we've all done this, and it becomes country before club. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's spot on, because I actually, when I was in Iraq and people would come back, I actually had that conversation. I was like, this war is not going, you know, because me personally, when I went, I was proud to go serve my country in Iraq, but it wasn't, you know, I got the vibe, like you're talking about, like, we're not going to really change anything because these people don't want change, you know, and it's because of, you know, that's what I tell people. It's like, when I talk about myself, like I'm an American, then I'm a Kansan, and then like, I'm a Christian or Catholic or, you know, whatever your religion is. And there it's the exact opposite. Exactly. I am a, I'm a Shiite Muslim. And I'm from the Kurdish region. And then, oh, yeah, this area I live in has to be in Iraq. Like, right, exactly. Where I get, like, the Russian vibe is, we're fucking Russians, man, and we're tired of you guys fucking with us uh, since yeah. the Cold War. Well, if you look, though, yeah. and I will just put, say this, like, I just dug this up from uh, Pew Research, but looking at Russia's view, uh, the Russian public, their view of Americans. So they had a 61% favorability view of Americans in 2003. That's now gone down to 26%. So you could say that part of that is because of the leadership that we've had here, sure. and but also leadership there has a huge impact Absolutely. and the information that they're getting about yeah us and you know what we're up to and what we want to do what nato wants to do but w- one of my questions for you and i know we've probably kept you too long here but and i know you're not a general or or, or whatever but just as someone who's there on the ground you've got military experience wh- where do you think putin went wrong how how did he miscalculate this oh man Whew. wow you, you got an hour right. <laughs> well we've already taken an hour of your time i guess uh yeah no um no but so from the very get-go right um and this is something that America does very well, and we're teaching Ukrainians. It's like, we're going to go in, we're going to blitzkrieg, we're going to have a heavy, we're going to make sure our logistical supply chain is ready to go before we ever get into a country, right? Um, the Russians didn't do that. You know, they literally, if you remember at the beginning of the war, 
you know, there were these guys with tractors taking tanks, taking T-72 yeah, tanks right. and armored personnel carriers. That's because they were only, these tanks were only given enough fuel to get to where it is they needed to go. And if any of that changed, they were just out of luck. So they had to abandon these things, right? So failing logistically is a, is a huge one, right? That's the first one. Um, and I just can't believe it's hard to believe that. that that was even true. We saw that. We read that. But part of me being a little bit skeptical was like, come on. They really just only gave them enough fuel to go this far and they were well, that broke. I mean, I, we think of Russia, if nothing else, uh, they've got their problems and they've got their certainly their uh, economical problems. But we think of them as being a great military power. But then we see this yeah. and, and they're like, well, they're going over there in these wooden, you know, Jeep willies from the 1960, whatever. And they've only got right. enough fuel in this tank to get them across the border, and then they had to leave it because uh, they ran out of fuel. I just, But you're saying that's true, and I guess no one has really argued that that isn't true up until this point. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of it, you know, it may not be 100% accurate, but, you know, um, you know, and we're actually lucky enough, you know, with Desert Storm, I think, being the first one, and then the Iraq War that I was in, you know, when you watch these tanks rolling forward into Kuwait and then into Iraq later in 2003, you would see logistical supply chains that were miles, miles long to support these guys. Yeah. You know, um, and here they, they didn't really have that. And they didn't have a, they didn't have a system in place to get them the fuel. So maybe they went there with enough fuel, but right. like, Oh, how do we get it through these tanks that have now broke through the front line? And we now need to get them so they can keep going and continue that, that blitzkrieg or whatever word it is you want to use, you know, that, that, right. yeah. that do you think they, they made the same mistakes we made, in some ways. So me being in Desert Storm, like, you know, it was the 100-hour war. And yeah. I tell people, I don't know if you saw that movie Jarhead, but that was a oh, lot yeah. of, like, people hated that movie. And I'm like, well, if you wanted to know what it was like, that was it. It really was, yeah. like, a lot of, I'm ready to kick your ass and not a lot happening until, like, five hours then you were done, right? But months and months. I was there for two years. And oh, I was... Yeah. So I was like, you know, they they uh you know, they nailed it and, and that guy was obviously there and they nailed all that tension, that tension, that tension and then yeah. really no release, right? Yeah. Um but then we went back again and I felt like, oh, we think it's going to be another 100 year 100 hour war. And yeah. it wasn't. And what we kind of lost is like, I, I, I look at it this way, and, and I think when I, I see Russia, this has happened to them in Afghanistan too. And I think it's what's happening to them in the Ukraine. And I could be wrong because you're training the soldiers, so please stop me. But when, when the United States fought the British, mm -hmm. we didn't go meet them in the middle of the field and lower our guns at them and then fight like gentlemen. Yes. We hid in trees. We threw shit at them. We did whatever the fuck we could, and they called us savages. Horrible people, right? You fucking savages. Yeah. And then we became this military power, and then we went over to other countries, and people hid in trees and threw shit at us and threw mines. We're like, you fucking savages. Don't you know how to fight? And we ended up getting our, you know, I we get our asses kicked just like Britain, Britain did, England, uh, by us when we fought that way. When I see these things coming out of the Ukraine, I feel like Russia's like, yeah, we're going to drive our tank tanks in there. We're going to fucking kick their ass. Fuck them. And then all of a sudden, they're just getting hit with dumb shit. Like, what the fuck yeah. did you guys just do to us? And I feel like yeah. for some reason, these countries that have this military 
supremacy, right, and put their money and budgets in the military, they forget that these other guys are fighting for conviction. Yeah. They're not uh, fighting for club or for country sometimes. Sometimes it's just like, I gotta fucking kill you, man, because you're gonna change my way of life, and I'm not fucking down for that. And if that means, you know, crazy, half-ass made, you know, IEDs in the middle of the fucking road that'll kill everybody, then so fucking be it. And we just don't do that. No. So, you know, that, that's 100% spot on. Like, I have that conversation. Anyone anyone that has that mindset of like, oh, how can someone just build this this car bomb and then set it off right next to American? I was like, what what do you think America did to get our independence? Like, right. Exactly. We were, we were outnumbered. We were outgunned. We... We didn't have what you know what's called asymmetric warfare, where it was two even teams going at each other. So what do you have to do? You have to get creative in order to make that imbalance more balanced, right? Right. Um, and yeah, and the Ukrainians at the beginning of the war um, were very, very good at adapting to that. You know, like let's let's go, like you just said. Oh, there's a big column here, so let's sit around with some RPGs. Let the first two or three you know tanks roll by. We're gonna get you know, the fifth one, we're going to get the last right. one. Now we're going to make a kill zone. You know, it, it, this is classic ambush techniques that uh, special operations forces still use to this day. You know, Marine reconnaissance, these kind of guys, like that's what they're taught to do, you right. know? Um, and that it is, that's, it's like real warfare. And Ukrainian did a phenomenal job of it at the beginning. Um, and that since helped them moving on. You know, if you look at, you know, their, their drone warfare, like who would have thought I could go buy a 500 or $2,000 drone at, you yes. know, whatever electronic store, and they figured out how to rig little bombs to it. Now we can start dropping them inside the porthole of the tank. Like, that's that's super inventive. Right, you know? now, and that's the kind of shit you're doing. That's why people are like, well, how could Russia lose us? Or how could the United States not, you know, clear out Afghanistan and all these other things? Because yeah. they're fucking doing, I mean, it's not really crazy, but they're doing crazy shit. Yeah. And we don't do that. You know, and, and what's wild with Afghanistan is, we taught all Afghanistan how to do that. It was up. Right, exactly. Right, right. right. Yeah. Well, and one of the other things that I w wonder if it's if it's not a similarity, but with Desert Storm, it did feel like the objective was a little bit clearer than it was in the the you know Iraq and Afghanistan right, wars that sure. were to follow 10, 12 yep. years later. Is that not? I guess at least as an American over here, it was never totally clear to me exactly what. Putin set out as an objective and and even where we are now like what he would accept as some sort of victory because whatever it is if if if, if he's going to end this thing if he's going to agree to end he's it he's going to have victory. to be able to say that it, that he was victorious somehow and I don't know if that means he the, Ukraine has to give up the Donbass whatever it is he's going to have to be able to say we won we won so it, yeah. it, was that part of the issue? Is that there just wasn't a clear enough um, objective? Yeah, so, yeah, that was back to your original question. That was really my second point. Is he didn't dictate you know, what it is, what the end goal was. You know, if you don't have an end game, you can't win, right? You know, it, it, with, without an objective, there, you you can't win. You can't say, all right, we've done what we came here to do. Right. And if you look, if you know, if you look at his rhetoric over the last, you know, basically we'll say 18 months, roughly 16 months, whatever it is, it went from denazification to NATO coming in to, uh, they want to overthrow the pro-Western regime. Uh, they want Donbass because it's primarily pro-Russian. They wanted a land bridge between uh, Transnistria and Russia. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it changes. Like every two months, it's a new story, and that that makes it very, very hard 
to establish what victory is going to look like. Right. Yeah, and another thing that I heard, which made total sense, or I guess that I, I watched on like a Frontline episode, but just talking about the last 20-some years of Putin's rule, you know, all these times that he went into these other countries, went, you know, you talked about some of these things earlier, but uh, Georgia and uh, uh, Crimea and, and just other other yeah. things that he did, he's kind of watching to see how the West would, we, would respond, and we didn't really do anything. It was just sort of like, we don't really want to start a war with Russia. So right. they get up on stage and condemn his actions, but that was really it. And so a lot of people speculate that when it came to this war, he thought we'll get a lot of, you know, name calling thrown at us from the West, but that's probably mm -hmm. about it. And that he wasn't expecting this organized, uh, well-funded coalition fight, yeah. you know, coming from yeah. the West. Yeah, that's an interesting, Ukrainians. that's an interesting question to double up on that. As someone who's there, and I have no idea what your political affiliation is, none whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> what do you think about Biden? Has he done a pretty good job? Um, so he, he supplies us with, with money to fight the war. So with that part of it, I'm happy. The rest of it. I don't know. That's the good part about living in a different country, man. I don't. I don't have to well, that's do I think what we're asking. Well, I guess is, I'm not asking like, um, do you, yeah, what do you think about yeah, his, you know, domestic yeah, policy yeah, or whatever? But in in, in him helping the Ukraine against Russia, how how's he doing? Ukraine? Yeah. So um, he's doing very well. Um, with that being said, I I think that there's people smarter than him making those decisions or helping him make those sure. decisions rather. Um, and honestly. And this is, again, my personal opinion. I think a lot of this is because of Taiwan, right? So right now, America has the ability to do three very distinct things that's going to help us in Taiwan. Because if you're really studying, like, that's going to be the next big war that yeah. we really need to worry about, right? One is we have the ability to test new equipment on a battleground, mm. right, without putting – without any American military, right, active duty American military on the ground, right? We're out testing all kinds of these small diameter guided bombs using drones, um, you know, all this kind of weird test equipment, right? We can see how it works, right? That's one. Right. Um, two, we can now figure out um, kinks in our, in our personal logistical supply chain to support a war that's going to be seven, eight, nine, ten thousand miles away, right? Right. And we can also show um, another country that we will we have the ability defend, to do it. that we will defend someone's sovereignty if we have to with military right. muscle. Yeah. And then and then thirdly, we what you know, if you look at the equipment that we're giving them, like we're not giving them the new shiny stuff. We're giving them things that sure. were Desert Storm era. And even before that, you know, the Patriot missile came out, what, 1981. Sure. The Abrams came out. A1 came out in 1980. Like we're not giving them the Abrams M1A3s with all the high end stuff. The S-16s, if they get them, when they get them, they're not going to be the super high speed ones that, that we still use, you know? Right, right. So what we're able to do is we're essentially garage selling stuff because a tank and same thing with the ship, right? It doesn't matter if it's a, a carrier or a tank or whatever. We're now, usually what would happen, those things go to a scrapyard, right? And we get three cents to every hundred dollars probably that we spent to build the thing, right? Well, now we're getting say $30 out of every hundred because this is a and lease program essentially, right? So mm -hmm. we're able to unload inventory that is costing us millions, if not billions, of dollars to maintain as well. So, right. um, in that sense, I, I think they're doing a, uh, the U.S. military and Biden in cohesion with that is doing a very good job. You know, I can't believe we haven't asked you this. I think now. people argue about that, but one thing, you know, uh, I, I'll tell you, I happen to be a liberal, but it doesn't matter. But I, I, I have really thought, um, 
in geopolitical terms and defense, like Biden's a really fucking smart guy when it comes to this shit. Like he re- and he he hires or uh, you know appoints really smart people to be around him. Whatever you think yeah. about his other stuff, he seems to be. Like, even when they would talk shit about, you know, the Middle East and how we're going to have to divvy it up between three different, you know, religions and factions, the dude was right. Yeah. Well, and we um, know that yeah, when they went to Obama, when, when Putin started, you know, encroaching right. on other territories, that Biden was the one saying, you got to do something, you got to do right. something. Obama said, I just became president. I don't want to go right, to war with exactly. Russia. And Biden's like, you have to. So yeah. Biden was ready for this. You right. know? He was yeah. he was thinking about this. And I think it was smart, too, yeah. not to kiss Biden's ass, but to put someone else's face on it. You know, let Macron be exactly. the spokesperson and make sure yeah, that you yeah, got that, that alliance ready to go. Um but yeah, and like so. First off, like I'm, I'm a libertarian, and I'm I'm a firm believer. Like you just said it. Like what a president should do is he should surround himself with a whole bunch of people that are smarter than him. Right. right? Exactly. Yep. That individual thing, and Putin should think about to that. Make the best decision. Right. And uh, I'm with you. Like so, you can go left and right. You know, I yeah. think in uh, in Desert Storm, I thought George Bush Senior did a fucking great job. Yeah. You know, he did what he did. Like you just said, he set an objective: get the fuck out of Kuwait. And then when they said, well, why aren't you going to get Saddam Hussein? He said, because we'll never get the fuck out of there. It's going to take forever. It's a fucking wasp nest. We'll just get him out of Kuwait. And he fucking did what he said he was going to do, and it was over. Now, everybody else after him, you know, it's like, well, what the fuck are we doing now? All the things that George Bush Sr. said we shouldn't do. Do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, and again, being an Iraq veteran, you know, the, the that Bush administration was not good. Like, the, the, <laughs> right. you know, if, if we accomplished our goal and it was mission over, then why were we there for another right. was it, 15 years or right. something? Right. Right. In exactly. Afghanistan for another 20. And, you know, people get into this whole, well, we, we pulled out. I, I think the way we did it was very poor, but there were already conditions set by two previous presidents right. yeah. for that to happen right. on that timeline. And it yeah. went very poorly, you know. So, I mean, I guess you at least like to see it when we feel whether you're left or right, that, Hey, your leaders planned. are being fucking smart Something about this, planned, right? Yeah. Like, either side. Now, let me ask you the yeah. real questions about being in the Ukraine and being, I, I don't know, if, are you, you consider yourself like a hired mercenary? No, no, not at a all. A freedom um, fighter, a paid, or you just now consider Ukraine yourself military. a Ukraine military person? Yeah, I'm, I'm Ukrainian military because I wasn't hired by a private company to come here or okay. anything like that. I came, like I said, on my own dime trying to do a good thing um, I, I don't think that that's a bad thing no, my no. uncle was a no, marine no, no, no. and he served in desert storm with me and he almost went to i think it might have been blackwater or something they were going to pay him a bunch of money to go uh just defend some of those oil rigs yeah that happens yeah. a lot i think you know like hey just go make some money stand over there he ended up not doing it but i was like that sounds like a decent job i don't know the good or the bad but more than that now that you're over there you're part of the ukraine military Look, you being over in the Middle East, like, that wasn't a party. No. There wasn't, like, a lot of, like, nothing fun really going on. No. Are you having no, fun? It, like, I mean, Ukrainian women, do they, are they like, I love you, you're American? Like, uh, my dad was in Vietnam, and he, he passed not too long ago, but I remember going through his stuff, and, you know, there's a picture of his Vietnamese girlfriend, you know, yeah. of him and her on the beach. I know that... You know, he had crazy stories of the fun stuff he did while he was there, mixed with the atrocities of war. I just yeah. got, like, war and then fucking hot. You know, like, there is nothing yeah. cool about it. Um, yeah, so you, you, the Ukrainian people here love Americans. Um, right. Actually, I, I have a Ukrainian girlfriend. I met her, you know, 
Fucking guys, man. Fucking guys. I always look back and I'm like, I had to go to fucking the Middle East, man. There's no Middle East girlfriends. And you're on a boat. Ukrainian women are absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, there's, I haven't, I haven't seen an unattractive one yet. Right. And are you having fun? Like, is there yeah, like you're able beers to go out and, and drinks? And, like, but wait, the way my dad experienced war in Vietnam, and the way I experienced war were different. My dad be like, yeah. Like, you know, we get, you know, every three months we get two weeks off. We go to Hong Kong yeah. and drink beer and get yeah. fucked up with my buddies and buy suits, shoes yeah, I mean, made of monkey skin and stuff. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, you know, if I, to compare Iraq or like Desert from like you're talking about to, to this, it's night and day. You know, it's the same thing. It's you're up on the front line for, you know, four or six weeks. You do your job and then you get a, you get five days to, go relax right. um you know but it's much different because five days it's like i'm a i'm a three and a half hour car ride from the front line to my apartment in odessa you right. know um so you know you don't you know that was the other thing i always hated about u.s military so oh, we're going to give you 10 days but now there's three travel days out of the right. 10 you're like thanks a lot asshole you know like, <laughs> right yeah really give me here you know right um so yeah i mean there's there's tons of fun stuff to do you know like i said um down here in odessa like there's some beaches that are open that uh, that aren't mine that they allow people to go to. There's, you know, there's bars. Like the other day, it was the Ukrainian Independence Day. You know, they had a big parade. Uh, you know, I'm not saying you wouldn't know that there's a war going on here because, um, you know, right. there's still places that are boarded up and blown up and things like that. But people just, they refuse to live in fear of a missile attack. Like I, I, I've been in a bar where these air raid sirens go off and guys just kind of look up and they go, eh. Well, give me another beer. You know, give me a yeah, shot right. of vodka. I don't care. You is know? is right. Zelensky um, University over here? It's uh, portrayed that he's a, a a a hero pretty much universally over there uh, across the country. Mm-hmm. Is that the case? I mean, do people love him? Yeah. So you know, it's um, the best person I could relate him to would be maybe like Winston Churchill in World War II. Okay. Like, he is a he's a great lead. He's the right man for the right job at the right time. Right. Um. I think there's people that don't like him so much because he's done a lot of reform and anytime there's change, there's people that don't like it. You know, um, he's cut down drastically on corruption here. Um, and because of that, you know, cause Ukraine coming from the Soviet Union, corruption was kind of part of life sure. for a long time. Uh, well, nobody likes being, and, corruption getting cut down on like people who are getting rich off corruption, which course. is most people high in uh, yeah. you know, political spheres. Right. Yeah. I mean, and let's be honest, man. Any any time a country goes to war, American included, yep. higher up, like there is corruption. There are people Absolutely. getting back payments. There are people getting, you know, politicians getting their funding for their campaigns or whatever. It's yep. it's not any different. It's just seen as different because they do it a different way. Right. You know. Well, Chaz, um, how long? Yeah, you- for the most part, I would say you know 70, 60 to seventy percent of the people like really, really like him. There's that 40 percent that don't. And then well, the twenty percent of the people and the farmers who just don't give a shit. Like who? Right. We don't have a <laughs> yeah, TV. Yeah. I'm not watching right. the TV. Guys that I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, well, first of all, we really appreciate you taking the yeah, time to I talk to us today. It, it's super yeah. interesting. And also, I'm just curious, how long are, are you planning? Are you there until the war is won, or do you have a, a date set to come yeah, back? A, yeah. Do you have dual uh, citizenship? And because you I joined a different army, is the United States like fuck you? You can't come back. Uh, yeah. So no, I, I don't have dual citizenship because um, in Ukraine. If I got a Ukrainian passport, I'd have to surrender my U.S. passport, but there's no way in hell I'm ever going to do it. No, no, no. There's not a chance in hell. Um, But I do have what's called permanent residency status, so I can stay here um, 
as long as I want because I've now served the Ukrainian military after a year. Okay. For, for more than a year, rather. Um, and honestly, I, I plan on staying here long term after the war because um, there's a number of guys that I've trained, I've become friends with here. I'm kind of, don't, I don't want to say like I'm part of the community, like I'm this big to do around town, but like I have friends now. That sure, and you like it. Own businesses and, yeah. Um, and you could open a frozen yogurt place or something American that they don't have over there yet, <laughs> whatever right. it is. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, like a Twin Peaks would make so much money <laughs> there you go. for a Mexican restaurant. And can you come back to the U.S.? Yes. So if you're a Ukrainian male in the military, you're not allowed to leave the country. Okay. Um, I, however, as a, as a foreigner, I'm allowed to uh, put my contract on hold, which is basically Got where okay. they don't pay me. And I can, like, um, actually in the month of March, I was back in the States for the whole month of March. Um, I didn't get paid for it, but that's fine because I'm not doing my job. I'm sure. cool with that. Um, and they just like, yeah, when you come back, we'll just start your payment back up. Okay. Again. So you can, because I did hear that sometimes if you join the military in certain foreign countries, mm-hmm. then you got to stay. Yeah, that's there. There are countries that are like that. Ukraine is not one like of them. Because okay. honestly, if, if, if it was, I wouldn't have signed that contract. So right. Like, there's no way in hell you're going to keep me here till this war's over because well, what if we lose? I hate to yeah, say it, but what if we lose, right? No, no, that's, that was, you know, when I first got here, man, that was still a very real possibility. And that, I mean, uh, what if we lose and now I'm an American yeah. who volunteered I mean, to help like, the Ukrainians to beat you, Putin? I'm guessing, like, I don't want to put bad thoughts in your head, but they, that he no. doesn't look fondly on that. No, <laughs> and I tell you right now, like, that's why before I came here, I made sure I had a car. So a lot of guys come over here without vehicles and stuff. Cause like, oh, right. what do I need to do before I'm going to you know, be at the front? I'm like, because if I need to get the fuck out of this country, <laughs> right. I have that. Like, you know, I came over with a thousand dollars U.S. cash right. with a nice to sew watch and a, right. and a golden ring. And I needed to get my yeah. stuff smuggled out. <laughs> I was very. I mean, we've had a nice conversation, but that is true. You're over there. Yeah. If you guys lose. I mean, there yeah. is, it's not all fun and games. There's an end game for you. And that end game is facing Putin and those guys, and he's going to be fucking pissed. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I actually had two friends uh, that are British that were captured in Mariupol that were on the death sentence. Oh, uh, like that, they had man. been sent to murder. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was unfolding before I was coming over. And that's what really made me start thinking about it. Like, right. I started looking at roots. Like, you can go up in the Carpathian Mountains. It's like, I'll, I'll abandon that car, and I'll become Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski <laughs> style, and I will march my happy ass all the way to Hungary and oh, have my shit. friends from Czechoslovakia come pick me up. Right, you right. You know? Yeah. But, well, yeah, that was, that. you know, it, it, it's not so bad now, but there those first few months, it was a very, a very, very real thing for me. And it's, it, yeah, it was a scary not scary, but like you said, it's something that it's a realism that you have to to face, you know, yeah. and have to have a plan for. Right. Well, yeah, I guess that's when if the Wagner Group comes, you're like, hey, I'll do it, and I'll do it for half the money. I'm a great soldier. I've never liked anything about this country. Well, we hope. Yeah, let me give you a bargain deal. Exactly, I'll give you a bargain deal. Well, Chaz, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Stay safe, and and we'd love to in the future when this is all over with catch up sometime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I'm always open to interviews, like as long as it fits within a schedule and it's not something that's going to put me at risk. Sure. I, I love doing this stuff and, and, you know, informing people from a point of view stance, you know. Absolutely. Right. Well, that's why we appreciate it. All right. It. And where's that TikTok? Can we all watch that TikTok that yeah. made you famous? Um, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think you can just put like Ukraine watermelon man in and it comes <laughs> up. Um, all right. Ukrainian watermelon. When you went over there to fight a war, I didn't think you, you didn't think you'd be the Ukrainian yeah. watermelon man, huh? 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's what that's what got me, man. That's what made me famous. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Right. Some fat right. kid eating a watermelon in the middle or something. <laughs> All, All right, man. I appreciate yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. All right, man. Y'all take it easy. Thanks, Good, guys. You too. Bye-bye. Chaz, uh, where are we right now? Who the fuck do you think we are, bro? Mmm. What's wrong, baby? Tastes like freedom. Tastes like freedom. And that is it. Thank you so much to Chaz for taking some time to talk with us today. And thank you again to our friend Phil for connecting us with him. Toxic and Problematic is brought to you by Mitra 9 Kratom. Visit mitra-9.com and use promo code PROBLEMATIC for 25% off your order. Thank you to our friends at Direct Computer Outlet in Mission, Kansas for making our Twitch stream even possible. Music graciously provided by Kid Computer. Thanks. Talk to you soon. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.